All right, we do have a few announcements before we get into Job chapters. Probably 22 is all we're going to get to today, I think, just 22, but we'll see how far we get. Um, kids, uh, pr- Christmas program's coming up, uh, and so we want to start practicing with the kids and their songs early. Um, so I'm going to read the flyer off to you. Though you'll, you'll get a copy of this if you have kids in the kids' ministry, but I'm going to read it off so we have a, at least a, um, a, we can hear it anyway. Uh, we would like to invite all the kids ages 2 to 13, that's our Sunday school ministry, to join us as we prepare for this year's Christmas singing program. Um, the practices will be held on December 5th and the 12th um, after the 11 o'clock service. Um, along with the group songs that they're all going to do together. Um, if there's any kids that want to break up into groups of three or four or decide to get a little little gang going, you know, that they want to do, um, they're welcome to sing a song of their choosing if they'd like, or like we can choose a song for them if they want to do, like one person comes up and sings a verse, and then they sing the chorus together, so there's some solo activity, you know. Um, we're open to all of that. Um, anyway, that's available also. And so with that... Um, they're going to meet on December 1st, that's a, that's a Wednesday, to, after the Bible study to kind of figure out what kids want to do what, and then we'll start practicing with them on, after that. Um, the performance will be December 19th after the 11 a.m. service on Sunday, um, uh, or during the 11 a.m. service on Sunday, um, the 19th. So, let's see, children can wear nativity costumes. We have a bunch of costumes upstairs in the attic that we'll bring down, so they're welcome to pick they want to be a donkey or an angel or a shepherd or something like that. They're welcome to do that too. Uh, or parents, you can force your children to wear any of those costumes you want because um, they. I don't know if they'd pick one or not. Maybe they would, um, but they'd be cute. We'd like to see it. Anyway, we're excited for this, and I know the kids love doing it. Um, a lot of them do. Some of them don't, and uh, that's why we want to kind of make it a, a little bit optional. We don't want to force kids to stand up here and, and do something they hate, but... Um, it, it is fun for them. I think they'd like it. Next Sunday, um, also, we have our prayer service at 7 p.m., and uh, you're, you're welcome to join us for that. Right before that is the youth night. Uh, it begins at 5 p.m., and that is at 7. It ends at 7, I think, or around there anyway, or they'll be in a different part of the building or whatever. But anyway, our prayer time will be at 7, and there, the youth uh, uh, event will be at, the, on the, at 5 p.m., uh, December 5th. Prayer is an interesting service. I just want to bring this up, um, and I, I think I shared this with you. It's the hardest one to attend. There's a reason for that. Um, we get spiritually attacked, and everybody gets tired, and you know everybody's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And yet, when you're there, and after it's over with, you're like, man, that was awesome. That was great. Glad I came. You know, but it's the getting there. It's hard. So, and I don't want to guilt anybody into coming. I just want you to recognize the spiritual warfare that takes place in these things. That it's hard. Um, Satan doesn't want us praying. He doesn't want us to be a praying church. He wants us to come in, um, get our vitamin pill of scripture, and then go home and, you know, and, and if he can, try to get the birds of the air to steal it, to get it choked out by the cares of the world or for the, or for the trials of life to, to, to scorch it. He desires that. Um, and so we need to pray. We need, we need to be a praying church. So we offer this once a month. We, didn't, we usually do it the first Sunday of the month, but um, it didn't work out this, this Sunday, so we're doing it uh, now in December. We're going to do it this first Sunday of the month here at uh, 7 o'clock. So join us for that if you can, um, if, you, if you want to. Um, you don't have to pray. You can sit there and be quiet the whole time if you want, but um, it's good to pray out loud um, to let other people agree with you in your prayer. Um, but if you want to come and be quiet, that's, that's fine. It's up to you. 
And that's, uh, I think that's all the announcements I have. Or is there anything else I forgot that maybe someone didn't get to me before? We were rushing around with cake. There's cake afterwards. That's the good thing about ordinations. You get cake afterwards. So um, you're welcome to join us for Rod's, uh, Rod's cake out there. Um, all right, let me get to my notes here and we'll get started. This chapter 22 of Job is a uh, is an interesting one in the sense that these this guy Elphaz is so almost so right on. I mean he is. What he says is true. It's just his mischaracterization of Job that's the struggle. It's hard to receive from this guy or to take what he's saying as true knowing that he's applying it in such a horrible way, you know? And so hopefully we can make that distinction in our minds as we go through it because what he shares is accurate, and I do want to focus on that. But as he's applying it to Job, it's very inaccurate. And um, that's a very dangerous thing for us. I was thinking of this that we can do maybe on a daily basis or on an occasion. I was thinking of other scriptures that maybe we use wrong. One of them we've covered many, many times is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many people think that means I can do anything I want, and Christ will strengthen me, and that's not what it means at all. It means you can suffer well. That's what it means, and God will strengthen me through the suffering. Um, or I can be abound, and I don't have to be prideful about it. I can still maintain my humility in that. I can, I can do all things. That's the true meaning of it. I think of another one where it says, the Word of God... Um, when it's sent out, always accomplishes what it was set out to do, right? And that's very true. But sometimes the Word of God is sent out just to show that that person has no interest in God. And that's why I shared that scripture of the seed, um, the parable of the sower. Jesus is very clearly telling us that the seed is the Word of God, and 25% of it bears fruit. 75% of it doesn't bear fruit, but still all 100% of it accomplished what it was set out to do. And so that's why we have to pull these scriptures together and, and look at them in the totality of God's word to kind of get a true understanding of what it means. And sometimes we don't do that. And so when we look at this, Elphaz is going to share a lot of God's truth, a lot of things he's learned from Job probably. Um, a lot of things they know from, I don't know where else they've studied or whatever texts they may have. Maybe Adam wrote something. I mean, who knows what they have in their hand? More than likely, it was all oral, orally shared, you know. And uh, But they're true statements, things that are confirmed through other passages in Scripture, and yet they're applying it wrong. And so it's a lesson for us, I guess, is what I'm trying to This chapter 22 is a lesson that although I may know God's Word and memorize it, I better make sure I understand the heart of the author because I will misapply that Word to different situations or to people and it'll be offensive, not only to them and do harm to them, but it'll also be offensive to God and won't be accepted. So um, it's important to, to pick up on these things. In verse 1 of chapter 22, Then Elphaz the Temanite answered. Job had just defended himself again, and so now it's Elphaz's turn. Can a man be profitable to God, though he who is wise may be profitable to himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? Or is it gain to him that you make your ways blameless? I remember this in college, my two whole semesters of college. But I remember that class. And they love, the professors love to take you through the emotions of 
jumping clear over to this side of the road, but then slamming you down on that side of the road so that you have to go clear over to this side of the road, and they slam you down over there. And I guess the whole point of it was to show that neither side of the road is right, or you can't ever be sure of anything. And I was like, okay. And I didn't want to give them any more of my money at that point. Um, because they're wrong. And so this is an example of where Elphaz stands on one side of the true nature of God. Does God gain? Do we add anything to him? Is he not complete? Is he not perfect? Is he not whole? Is he not fine without us kind of thing? Of course he is. He was good and perfect long before he decided to create us. And so that's his statement. We don't add anything to God. And some people hold on to that, and they spend their whole lives telling other Christians, you know, you don't matter, right? And you know that whatever you do doesn't make any difference in the world to God. He's fine without you. And they just this is their mantra. This is their gospel. They just love to make people understand how low they are. And they think they're doing God's service. By saying, God, look how exalted I'm exalting you. I'm exalting you, exalting. I'm making sure everybody down here knows they're absolutely nothing in their dust and dirt. Well, thank you. As a father, can you imagine? Your kids were getting kind of prideful. I saw them talking back to you, so I smacked them down for you. Are you happy, JD? Do you like the fact that I beat down Bo and Mariah and these prideful kids of yours? I made sure they knew that they shouldn't be like that. That's not pleasing to me. That's not at all pleasing to me. Because God in his word says in other places, not just that he's fine, total, complete, uh, sovereign, righteous, and perfect. He also says that what you do as his children is very pleasing to him. It encourages him. He likes that. He's hoping for that. I want you to be holy for I am holy. I love it when you do good. I've got some verses three different times. Second Corinthians 5, 9, Paul writes, Therefore we make it our aim, whether to be present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. It's pleasing to God when we're obedient to him, when we're walking with him. He's pleased by that. He's also very wrathful when we're not. That's what the book of Revelation is about, God's wrath being poured out in a Christ-rejecting world. But it's also the other side of that. He's also bringing home those who are obedient and have accepted and received the grace that he offers them. He enjoys both. Of, I mean, doesn't enjoy it, but he, he desires that from people, that obedience. In Philippians 4.18, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul says, the things you've done for me through this Epaphroditus, the stuff you sent, the, the, the care package, that's pleasing to God. It was a sweet-smelling aroma to him. So don't, don't take this to heart when this Elphaz comes along and says, are you no prophet God? Well, he does say that I'm his inheritance. That sounds like profit to me. Now, do I add anything to his character? Do I add anything to his majesty? Of course not. But I don't think he needs us to focus on that as much unless we get to that place in our lives where we think, aren't you lucky that you have me? But I've never met a Christian like that. I've met Christians that act like that maybe. But I've never heard anybody actually point to God and say, he's lucky he has me. I don't know where God would be without me. I mean, just people don't say that. So to spend your whole life bringing people down like this Elphaz is trying to do to Job. Job, you're not, sp- I mean, you see where he is in his condition, mourning the law. I mean, this is, this is a, we spend weeks in this, but this is happening in a very short period of time in Job's lifespan. He spent a lot of time raising kids. He spent a lot of time praying for kids and sacrificing and walking with God and teaching people's, people the way of the Lord. 
And in this tiny little chunk of time, which is about all this is for Job in his, in his span that he lives on earth, there's these guys saying all these things to him to make sure that he doesn't get prideful. I don't think Job's prideful in his ulcers from head to toe, in his loss of all of his family and, you know, his stuff and his livestock. I don't think he's like that. But these guys want to make sure. And so they're spending their time to make sure that he's low and nothing and small. The last one's Colossians 1.10. I didn't want to, I told you three, I'm going to tell you three. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We do bear fruit and that fruit is pleasing to the Lord. And he likes that. And what I do in my prayers and in my sacrifices to God, when I deny myself and I walk with him, which is what he's called us to do, that's a sweet-smelling aroma to him. It's pleasing to him. We're a living sacrifice, and it's beautiful to God. And so don't let anybody tell you otherwise, like this guy is. Is it because of your fear of him that he corrects you, he says in verse 4, and enter into judgment with you? Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? I mean, yes and no, you know? For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason, and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have not given the weary water to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. But the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable man dwelt in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. I don't know where he's getting all that. It doesn't sound like Job to me at all. And, and here's why I think that's not true is because of the very next verse. I'm going to go back and go over those verses, but you got to read verse 10, I think, to give it context. Therefore, snares are all around you and sudden fear troubles you. See, I think he starts with that. The snares and the fear that's all around you is because you must not have done these things that I just mentioned. I think he's, like we said last week, reverse engineering his walk with God. And I don't think it's true. All those things are absolutely accurate in the sense that we, we aren't supposed to be wicked. We're not supposed to have iniquity. And if we do, we're supposed to come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness for our sins. And I think that's where we can say, yeah, I'm a wicked, terrible person. And yet I'm not because as far as God's concerned, Christ paid for all of my sins. And as far as the East is from the West, my sins have been removed from me. And, that mean, and, and it says that God's forgotten them. So I don't know what you're accusing me of, but God doesn't know anything about that apparently at his choice. He's decided that. So yeah, we're wicked and we're worthless sinners and we're always dust and we know all that and, and we're told all that frequently. And yet, I don't know that God wants us to live there in that state, in that place. I mean, we are to be humbled, but I don't know that we have to I don't know that the opposite of that is pride. I don't think the fact that I don't live in a place of dust and dirt on my heads with sackcloth and ashes my entire life as I walk around in this world, I don't know that that constitutes that I'm a prideful human being. I think I can be humble and carry myself in a normal fashion in this world and minister. He doesn't call us as Christians. He calls us to be fanatical. He calls us to be radical. He calls us to be madly in love with him in several places in scripture, but he never calls us just to be weird for weirdness sake. You know, I think some people forget that. So he spends some time here telling Job that he's dirt 
And he accuses him of these things. Now, these are things you aren't supposed to do, and he's right. For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason and stripped the naked of their clothing. In other words, you foreclosed upon them. That'd be a word that we would use today. You foreclosed on them. They came to you, lent you, or you lent them money, and you, they gave you their coat. It's often used in Scripture. You, know, you leave your coat as surety, and, they can, you can give, and then they'll come back. And then he tells them, hey, make sure if night comes and they haven't paid you back, give them their coat back because they're cold, even if they haven't paid you back by the end. So brothers, he means, brother, you know, other Hebrews, other Jews. Make sure you're doing that for them because you don't want to be that guy. Hey, sorry you're cold, that's the way it is. You're paying back like you're saying, no, 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 I don't want, you don't want to be that guy. And so as Christians, we don't want to be that person, and that's what he's being accused of. You've stripped them naked of their clothing and not given the weary water to drink. You're not the good Samaritans you're supposed to be. You've withheld bread from the hungry. So you are supposed to give water to drink. You are supposed to. A cool drink of water, Jesus says, man, you give it to any of the least of these, it's like you gave it to me. And I see that and I watch that, and you'll be rewarded for that. I'm watching for those things. All of that. It's pleasing to me. I like that. I expect that. And then when you do it, I even reward you for it. Even though it's like baseline Christianity, I'm still pleased with that. I want you to do it. And so don't forget to do that, he's saying. Now, in here he's saying, Job, you must have forgot to do that, or otherwise you wouldn't be in the condition you are. So he's wrongly applying these scriptures, and yet they're very true. You've had withheld bread from the hungry, but the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable man dwelt in it. Sodom and Gomorrah, we we bring them up a lot as an example of what a declined society looks like. And um, we've said many, all societies have been in decline at one point and they they disappear and they come back or they they disappear and something else rises up in place of them. But it, it starts with values and morals and ends up in decline as well. And Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of that in scripture that we often go to um, because all seem to follow that pattern. But it isn't what we necessarily think. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't necessarily get the wrath of God for what we think. I mean, there were those issues that we bring up. There's those sins. But it says in the scriptures that it's because of their careless ease and their vast wealth and their lack of care for the poor. That's what causes them to get the wrath. It wasn't the other stuff that we would think. I mean, that didn't help at all. It was still worthy of judgment. But... When we look at the totality of the, uh, of, of the list of things against Sodom and Gomorrah, we focus on a certain port of the, portion of the list, the things we don't do. That's just classic Christianity for a lot of people. Well, I don't do that. Those people, they did. I don't know why I put a Southern accent to that, but for some reason, you know. But we don't pay attention to the other part because sometimes we fit that. It's embarrassing. Careless ease. I have careless ease in my life. I mean, I would love to tell you all of my problems in my day-to-day, and sometimes I do, but what you're hearing is probably the worst. And a lot of you are like, really? That's your biggest problem? Yeah, you know, woe is me kind of thing. Well, I'm sorry about your chicken, I guess, you know. Um, I'd like to eat a chicken. Could you get me some of that chicken next time you run one? You know, I'd, I'd like that. I wish that was my biggest problem. I have careless ease. I have wealth. And I don't mean like I'm like a Rockefeller or anything, but I'm, I live in America. Uh, I have wealth. Compared to 95% of the world, I'm super wealthy. I'm uber wealthy as far as they're concerned. So I need to be very careful, and I believe all of us fall into that category, that I'm not f- 
looking at Sodom and Gomorrah as, well, at least I don't do that, but I got to pay attention that my careless ease and my vast wealth and my lack of attention to the poor makes me as guilty as them and worthy of wrath. It's sin. Some of these sins are like, well, Jesus died for murderers. You know, that was a really bad adultery. And and we name off some of these things. We'll do it in careless ease. We think the Ten Commandments only. The Bible's absolutely chock full of other sins other than the Ten Commandments. And it isn't just ten that you keep. There's lots of things that are expected of us. And two of those things are this, that you make sure you're taking care of the hungry, those around you that you can take care of, and the poor, and keep them on your mind. The poor will be with you always, Jesus says. I want you to care for them. I want you to be about that. I want you to be the good Samaritan. I want you to minister to them. And so those are very true statements. Um, The final two here that he said, well, it's in verse 9. You have sent widows away empty, and and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Those are orphans, so widows and orphans. Now that comes up many times in the Bible. God, it's the weirdest thing because it, it's um, it's hard to maybe reconcile for a lot of us that there are kids out there that just don't have parents, and 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 we can even expand that maybe a little bit to kids that have parents but that don't parent. You know, they have adults in their life, but well, even that's a stretch. Sometimes they have human beings. That's fair that are in their lives that aren't adults that don't know how to think of others other than themselves and aren't raising children and aren't caring for children and aren't providing for children. They're doing the exact opposite. They're using children. They're abusing children. They're doing all the things they're not supposed to do because they're selfish, immature human beings. I would consider those guys orphans as well. And God sees that. He sees the fatherless and he sees the woman who's lost her husband and he says to Job, you've let her, sent her away empty. That just doesn't sound like him. It's not in his character to do that. Hello, widow. Too bad. Shut the door. Now, there are guys in the Bible that I read about. I'm like, yeah, that fits. But Job isn't one of them. I don't think that's fair to apply that to him. The strength of the fatherless was crushed. So whatever little strength these orphans had, he took it away from them and made sure. We went through a season like that in our country. Oh, boy, I tried to get off this soapbox, but I think I've got to step on it for a little while anyway. We made a lot of mistakes in our country because we're human beings, and every human being that's ever been a part of a civilization errs. We do. But what makes this country so great is that we bound it upon and set it upon Christian principles so that in the process of time, as we examine ourselves as a nation, as we examine ourselves as a people who have dedicated ourselves to God, and made sure that he is the king of the universe in our lives and in our country, we're able to grow and change. Every one of us walks that walk on a daily basis. I get saved. I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior because I know that I'm at the bottom of my life and full of sin, and yet I'm not perfect at that point. I don't come out of the water from baptism, or I don't whatever, step out and say, look at me, I'm better. It's a process being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what our country's gone through in the process of it. We don't have to go back and relive and wallow in our sin that we've overcome. We've overcome many of the errors that we brought into this country, you know, as we developed it. 
But because we have Christ as the core, we're able to overcome. And that is the light of the world. That is why we are a city that are set shining on a hill. It's why we're such a blessing to this world is because this is what it can look like as a country sets God, Jesus Christ, up as the preeminent one in their lives. There's room for change. Become more like Christ and to become more like him and to be purified and become holy like he's holy. Now, will we ever attain? No, of course not. But we'll get better. There's a reason everybody wants to come here. Yeah, a lot of it's money. But that free enterprise and that capitalism, that ability to let people stand on their own, to have that freedom to do what they need to do, whether that's be lazy and do nothing or whether that's work hard or help other people that are working hard that can't seem to get ahead, whatever it may be, there's a freedom to do that amongst ourselves. Everybody wants that opportunity. That's all you hear from people trying to get into our country. I just want the opportunity. And we have that opportunity because of Christ. You don't have that opportunity in other places because they don't. They have not placed him on the forefront of their minds and haven't made him. And that's why this is so important to defend. Some people, I, even at the pastor's conference, some of those guys need to be smacked around a little bit. I mean, I just was not on board with some of these big boys. And they didn't get it. Well, you know, Christ is on the throne. Of course he is. No one says he's not. But we have a very important responsibility as someone who has placed him on the throne of our country to defend the freedom that he's given us and is a a beautiful light shining all over the world that, yes, everybody can have this. Put Christ as the center and, and it's beautiful. And they think it's no big deal. Well, you know, it's got to go down so. You don't understand. If you're the last person in the room that loves Jesus Christ, given any room, makes no difference where you are, should you be quiet? Should you shut down? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be put out eventually anyway. I mean, I'm going to die eventually. I mean, the light's going to go out. At least I'm going to, I, I may as well stop now. That doesn't make any sense. No, we're called to burn bright until we can't burn anymore. Why are you so focused on political things? I just hate politics and church. Mm. We live in a country where it is your responsibility as a citizen, your responsibility. We don't live under Nero. We're not under a, a monarchy. We can't point anymore. Like some of these guys in the Bible could point and say, well, it's them. I mean, if it were up to me, No, we're a representative republic. You're responsible. I'm responsible for what takes place. My silence makes me complicit. Me not standing up, us not standing up for what's right, for what's beautiful, for what's Christian, for what's holy, for what's biblical. I'm complicit with it. I'm responsible for who goes into Congress. I'm responsible for, we need term limits. We need, no, no. Oh, there's another one I'll get chewed out for afterwards. Term limits limits me. I'm the voter. I get to choose. You say I can't choose this guy for another term because you say I can't choose him even though he's the best guy or the gal I've ever seen in my life in the office, and now you say he can't go in again because of term limits? You just limited my choice. All right, I'm getting off the soapbox. We're going to get 22 done. I'm saying we're responsible. And to sit back and say with this Christian piety, well, you know, it's going to go the way it's going to go, that's complicit. You're complicit. 
And we got to stop that and get that mindset changed about us. It's like you're, I'm not off the soapbox yet, obviously. It's like you're saying you wish the Revolutionary War hadn't happened, is what I'm saying. What if those guys adopted that principle in their life? What if all those signers of the Declaration of Independence, I think 17 plus, were pulpit sitting pastors? 17 of them. What if they adopted that idea? I don't know. Whatever they're going to do in England, they're going to do in England. I'm just going to sit here because I don't want to bring politics into Christianity. Then this country never would have been born. And a lot of people would be happy with that, I think. But we are not going to see eye to eye. Now I'm stepping off the boat. Verse 10. Oh, I got to get that cross-reference. See what happens when I get on that box? James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Psalm 68, 5, the Father and the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. So if we won't, he does. It's very important to him. It isn't political. It's very important that we do this. So God does this. And so therefore, in Psalm 82, he brings it to us, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. I want you, God says in his word, to do justice. No laissez-faire, whatever will be, will be kind of attitude. That's cowardice and very dangerous. Isaiah 117, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless Plead for the widow. Those are all actions. Those are all things we do and are required to and called to. Jeremiah 5.28. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. The right of the needy, they do not defend. That's an indictment. Verse 10. Therefore, snares are all around you, Job, because you haven't done any of these things that I've previously mentioned. That's why you have all these snares all around you and sudden fear troubles you or darkness so that you cannot see and an abundance of water covers you. Is not God in the height of heaven and see the heights or the highest stars, how lofty they are? And you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him so that he cannot see and he walks above the circle of heaven. Um, you say you can't see or God doesn't know what's going on. It's clouded. Maybe he can't, if he, because the idea is if he could see what was happening to me, he'd do something about it. And so some reason, somehow he's got to justify it in his mind. The reason God hasn't rescued me from my trouble is he must not be able to see me. And that just makes people feel better, I guess. And, and that's what he's accused of. And he says, no, 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 he can see you and he's right. Elphaz stumbles upon, upon another truth. There isn't anything that God doesn't see. He knows my heart. He sees me through and through. And he knows my troubles and my difficulties. And sometimes he'll bring me out of them. And sometimes he'll let me go through them to completion. And I always keep that in mind. That he wants me to complete these things. He wants me to walk through these things. It's the valley of the shadow of death that he wants us to walk through. But he wants to walk through it with us. But he still wants to go through this valley. There's a lot to be learned. There's a lot of value in going through these things with the Lord. You learn how to trust him and rely on him a whole lot more, whereas you didn't need to before. I don't need God when everything's going right. 
I mean, I really don't. I'm, I appreciate him sitting next to me, and I, I, love, I love being in his presence. Don't get me wrong, but I don't call upon him. Oh, God, I've made so much money this week. Lord, be here for me. Help me. I don't, I don't pray that. Thank you, God. I do thank him. I don't call upon him for help or ask him to guard my heart or to watch me or to help me through this difficult time because it's not difficult. These difficult times are important for us to know that he's with us regardless. And Paul had to learn that, how to be abound and how to, abate, how to be abased, how to have plenty and how to, how to lack. And it's important for all of us. Will you keep to the old way which wicked men have trod? who were cut down before their time, whose foundations were swept away by a flood. They said to God, and so he's saying, this is what you are thinking too, Job. Depart from us, is what they said to God. What can the Almighty do to them? I mean, I'm too big to fail, you know, this is what he's saying there. That'd be our modern lingo for that. God, I'm too big to fail. What are you going to do to me? Kind of thing. How could you possibly bring me low? If you ever remember Nebuchadnezzar, that's the story with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And he was having, Nebuchadnezzar's having dreams and, Nebuch- and, and Daniel's trying to, he's interpreting them. And at one point he, um, he, he, he gets this vision of the, of, the, of the sculpture, you know, the golden head and the silver chest and all that. And John went over that um, in his, uh, in his uh, Bible study that he did while I was gone. Anyway, he goes through, and, and Daniel says, well, you're the golden head, and that's all that, and you're the silver, and you're this, and you're the, and you're, well, you're not that. Next, next government's going to come and take you over, and you're not going to be golden more, but it's not going to be as nearly as nice as you. He's, I guess, supposed to bring him some consolation. And it progressively, from the golden head of, of Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to these uh, iron feet with clay mixed, and that's going to be how the whole world's going to go. Then there's this big rock that comes and smashes the feet, and that's Jesus. He's going to make all the governments of man fall down, and that's the, that's the gist. Well, Nebuchadnezzar hears it, but he doesn't hear it, you know? He hears that he's the golden head, and he liked that part. And I don't know if he tuned out for the rest of it, but he got stuck between gold and silver here saying, wait a minute, silver, wait a minute, who's taking over? What do you mean I'm not going to be? He got upset. And so he goes out, he makes this golden image of himself from head to toe after that. (laughs) Ain't going to be no silver, ain't going to be no iron, it's going to be gold all the way. Me, 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 me. And then I want everybody to bow down and worship me kind of thing. Well, after a series of events, Nebuchadnezzar finds himself after God touches him. I don't want to do the whole story. Um, God's removed his sanity from him, took his mind. And he's out wandering around in the field. And it says he had toenails like eagle's claws. So he's just, he's a madman out in the field acting like an ox. His hair had grown like, and it was all matted down like dreadlocks, but they called it like, you know, matted feathers or something like that. And so he's out there and he says, this guy that was just really kind of open and, and getting dreams from God and having Daniel and kind of, because he became prideful, all of a sudden at the, at the top of his game goes out and becomes as God just, I'd just take your sanity for a while. It wasn't permanent. And he was out in this field. Nobody could get near him. They're like, well, there's the king out there. He's a little busy right now foraging for berries. I don't know what he's doing out there, you know. But they still protected him like he was the king. They watched out for him so that when he came out of it, he was still king again. But God wanted to humble him. Took that moment to say, "I I can do this if I want to. And so this is where this comes up. It's like, this is what you're saying to God, Job, you're so big and powerful and mighty upon the earth that nobody can take you down. What can God do to me? 
Well, he can do a lot. He can do this, Job. He's taking you out. He took everything away from you. Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad, and the innocent laugh at them. And here's what they do when they laugh. Surely our adversaries are cut down, and the fire consumes their remnant. That's what they're saying about you, Job. They're very happy that your wickedness has finally been found out, and you've been brought low again. Now, here's this, here's this guy's advice. Now, acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. It reminds me of a t-shirt that was made, you know, no, K-N-O-W, P, you know, K-N-O-W, God, no God, K-N-O-W, no peace, and then N-O, God, and N-O, peace. So you either know God and have peace, you can know peace, or you know God and no peace in your life. So that's like this guy's t-shirt. Acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. I don't know why this frustrates me so much. This just, it's no big deal. It's sound advice. I guess it's, it's the fact that he's applying it to him that bothers me. Job is the teacher. Job is the preacher. He is the pastor. He's the guy who knows this stuff, and he knows this in his heart. But based on other people's characterization of his life and what he's going through right now, they think he needs to know Jesus. Imagine how frustrating that must sound to Job who is in prayer, who is trying to seek out what God wants in his life. And someone says, you know what? If you just submit to the hand of God in your life and trust in Jesus for your salvation, this would all go away. First of all, it's not a true statement. God doesn't always do that, but he does take away our sins and he does save us from our sins. But no, sometimes these things that we planted in our lives, they've got to play out. They just do because we've done it. And there needs to be repercussions for our sins sometimes. We, we plant the seed, we're going to get the fruit. Don't, be, don't misunderstand that. So when this newbie, and I call him a newbie because he, he, he's regurgitating back to Job what Job taught him. You know, Job, you just need to know the Lord. I know the Lord, man. I haven't forgotten the Lord. I'm very well aware of who's in charge here. I completely understand my condition and where I'm at. I just don't understand it. That's what I'm trying to understand, why this is happening. How come this is going down? But it doesn't mean I've forgotten God or I've walked away from God or that I don't trust God or that I don't love God. All that's true. And so this new guy comes up and he says, you know, you just need to know God. That's not helpful, man. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you just listen to, if you just read his word. Dude, I read his word every single day. You know, Job knows what this guy is oblivious to is that God has chosen to be quiet in Job's life. I'm being silent on purpose because I don't want to step in. I want everybody to know, including Satan, that Job will not curse me to my face, that he's going to walk with me regardless, even if I'm quiet. If you just listen to his instruction, I would love to hear something from him, Job would say. If God has anything to say to me, I am laying here waiting for it. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. He will remove iniquity far from your tents. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. And then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and He'll hear you and you will pray your vows. 
you will also declare a, a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. When they cast you down and you say, exaltation will come, then he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. All of that is true, isn't it? I've said these things to people. Every bit of that is true. If you just seek the Lord while he can be found, if you'll just trust in him while you can, if you just... now my assumption is they're not, they're not walking with God. And they may have declared that. I want to be very careful that I'm rightly applying these absolutely biblical truths that everything he said is right. If you'd let God be your gold, if you'd let God be your silver, I mean, we've taught that recently here. I would love that, Job says. I don't question any of that. I've taught all of that, you know. So it's like he's trying to lead Job to the Lord when Job is the guy who's been walking with the Lord longer than anybody in the room, apparently. And I appreciate that. And I, and I know that Job should probably appreciate that. He should probably say, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. All those things are true. I've had that happen to me before on a plane. You know how when you sit next to somebody on a plane, as the Christian, you're like, okay, God, if there's an open door, I want to share you with this person sitting next to me, you know? And so I sit down and I'm quiet and I'm probably praying that too, or maybe I'm not because I'm lazy and I don't feel like doing it that day or whatever. And I, but I'm sitting there and the guy next to me, I can feel him squirming, just squirming. And I, and I don't know this at the time. I know it after he starts though, that he's just, oh God, I don't want to do this, but I know that you're leading me to tell this guy about the Lord. And he starts witnessing to me on the plane. Now, I'm not so pri- I'm, I'm, I'm prideful enough to use it in a story like this, but I'm not so prideful at that moment to say, I know the Lord. Shut up, you know. Get your vomit bag and, you know, leave me alone. I'm trying to be quiet over here. I, you know, I, I appreciated that. I understood. I've been in his shoes. I know that. So I listened to him, shared it. He did a beautiful job, wonderful job of sharing it. And I was like, yes, I'll, yeah, dear God, you know, I want to be saved still. You know, and I received it. You know, I just received it because I appreciate his heart. That's really what Job should do right here. Now, I know he is covered from sores from head to to toe. And I know that he's lost his family and needs comfort right now. But even in that condition, Job being the pastor here in this group, ought to be able to appreciate what this guy is trying to do, even though he's wrong and he's misapplying it. I see what he's trying to do, you know. I don't know that he does. I think he's trying to be careful here, but he doesn't receive this. Everything this guy says is absolutely true. He's just applying it to the wrong person, someone who does know the Lord, someone who's already worked through this, who's passed the basic elementary principles of the faith that Paul tells us we need to get past and to move on to deeper doctrines, to more things. He's there. And so this guy's trying to tell him, I know, but it just doesn't look like your life. And maybe that's why Job doesn't accept it is because, look, I've got one more lesson for you. You are applying these principles wrong. These scriptures, these things you know about God, you're using them wrong. The very first thing you need to do when you're talking to somebody is to not just blurt out the gospel, but to find out who they are and where they are in the Lord. They may be downcast or sad or crying next to you, not because they need a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but 
in their saving relationship with Jesus Christ, they've got a hardship that's come upon their life. And you're ministering. Your opportunity for ministry is still there, but it's just different. It's not a gospel moment. It's a brother-to-brother moment or a sister-to-sister moment where you can build them up and encourage them or pray with them or just listen, which is what these guys miss. This is their opportunity to come alongside their pastor who's going through a very difficult time and say, we just want to be here with you and help you. They're not trying to get him saved, or they shouldn't be, but they are. And so that's where they leave off with this. Um, And that's where we leave off today. I mean, to sum it up, I guess we just did. This Eliphaz is given an opportunity, but he's not being led of the Lord. And he's saying all the right things, but he's not applying them correctly. And that's, that's that walk in the Spirit that we talk about over and over and over again. Um, the Holy Spirit leads and guides us in our ministries, how to speak to people, when to say stuff to them, when not to say things to them. And to be led of the Spirit helps us, although we have the information we need. He brings to our remembrance everything we're supposed to say and gives us the words to say when we're brought before dignitaries and kings and princes and all that. Waiting on that is important. Waiting on the Holy Spirit to do that is very important. And that's what these guys lack, is they've got the data right, but they don't have the application right. And I just pray that for all of us that we get it, get better at that, evaluating the ministry before us and what it is that's needed at that time. Um, and not try to do a cookie cutter approach to whatever, you know, someone's crying. Well, they must need this. They, I, I've memorized this one verse. It's the only verse I know. Well, there might be something else they need, you know, and to wait for that leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for, we thank you for Elphaz. I mean, he's obviously been listening. Um, he's learned a lot. He's uh, trying to minister. Maybe this is one of his first times ever trying to minister to someone who's down and out and he's just, He's just not doing a very good job. And so I pray for us and anybody like us, Lord, that's in that position where we know, but we don't always know how, when, what, where to say, or how to minister or whether to minister at all. Sometimes we just need to be quiet and sit. We pray for that leading of your Holy Spirit that you'd help us to reach out to people appropriately to not guess what their need is, but by your spirit, know what it is and to able to apply that healing balm, a gentle answer, a, a, um, just applying your word to their lives in, in, in a good way does bring healing. If we don't, if we misunderstand, if we mischaracterize, we can actually bring more harm into that person where they end up having to defend themselves. And we don't want to do that. So to help us to be truly humble, um, led by your spirit, and to know your word that we know it backwards and forwards, that we'd hide your word in our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can bring out that sword anytime he chooses in our lives, that we might be a blessing to those around us and to help. Lord, help us to do those things that he spoke of here. We do want to help the fatherless, the poor, the widow, the, the orphan that we just mentioned. We do want to take care of those people that are down and out and don't need that they do need help. Help us to see them and to not excuse it away or to try to find a reason why we're not helping them or can't help them. Help us to look for ways to help them, to be a blessing to everyone in our lives. Can't save the world. We can't help everybody necessarily, but we can certainly help the people around us 
Help us to see them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.